In high school, I wrestled. In my first varsity match, I lost. Well, let me preface. Um, I'm an only child, sort of. I have, a, I have a sister that's 18 years younger than myself. I don't play well. <laughs> I don't play well with others. And, um, and I like to win. I like to win so much that I will cheat. Okay? And uh, my family loved me so much that when we played board games, they would let me win. That is bad parenting. That is bad grandparenting. That uh, taught me some bad behaviors. So I lost my first wrestling match. I was super excited, overprepared, you know, should have won, but I didn't. And I threw a big old temper tantrum on the mat. I got my headgear, threw it on the ground, huffing and puffing, kicking stuff. And my, ho my, my coach got a hold of me. And he says, you go, pick up, you go pick up your headset. You go apologize to the ref. You don't act that way. Yeah. So... Um, you know, I pulled it together, I calmed down, picked up my headgear, apologized, and then got back at it. When I won my first varsity match, pinned the guy pretty quick, super excited, and I'm like, yeah, in your face, you suck. I don't remember exactly what I said, but you get the idea, right? I mean, I kicked dirt in his face. Yeah, and I was like, I'm the man. You're the loser. I mean, that's, that, that's the attitude. Okay, so, but this time my coach grabbed me and took me outside of the gym. And he says, you're a brave. You do not act that way. You act with dignity and nobility. Son, you need to learn how to lose, and you need to learn how to win. And if you cannot do that, no matter how good you are, you're not going to be on this team. Do you understand? Yes, sir, I understand. Act with nobility because you are a brave. We do not conduct ourselves in such manners. You walk humbly and carry a big stick. One of, my, one of my values as an American is free speech. Like, I, I value, that's one of our treasures as a nation, is that we have the right to say whatever we want as long as it doesn't cause violence. And that is a value that is, it is our constitutional right that's worth fighting for. Censorship, in my opinion, is evil. Censorship in all forms. Whether you like their opinion or not, they have the right to say what they want to say in a public forum. That's what makes our country special. Censorship is such a big deal for me because 
Shortly after my wrestling experience, I was censored. In high school, in debate class, I was given the opportunity to take the pro-life side in a debate. And I was all in. I did all my homework. I had everything lined up. Uh, I, I, I had it all logically laid out. Very convincing arguments for a pro-life stance. And as I was giving my presentation to this high school class, the teacher stopped me and censored me. And I was forced to sit down. Actually, I was forced to leave the class. I could not say what my opinion was in that setting. And so that's why free speech is a big deal for me personally, because I experienced it. Now, in that moment, when I was censored, I was so incredibly angry. Like there was this rage that was bubbling up inside of me and in my mind and in my logic, I thought it was a righteous indignation. And it, was, it took every bit of self-control to not flip over the desks in the classroom and not to rebuke the teacher publicly and to not throw a big old temper tantrum. But I didn't. I remembered the teachings of my coach and I acted nobly with constraint and self-control. I wanted to say some things but I had control over my tongue. I wanted to act out physically, but I took the higher road. It's not cowardice, it's gospel. Within a few hours, One of my friends that I grew up with, I was, we were in study groups together. Played on the playground growing up. Whenever I could uh, swim in the popular crowd, she was there to accept me. I kind of went back with popular crowd, jocks, nerds, I had a hard time with the Christian club. <laughs> but I had the ability to, to, to swim in the different cultural circles and cliques inside of my school. Anyway. So this is what I learned. A few hours after I was censored and kicked out, my friend approached me and said, I had an abortion, 15, 16 year old girl. I had an abortion. Will you pray with me? 
I had the opportunity to minister to her. I had the opportunity to love her through a very difficult situation and a decision. If I would have kicked over the desk in the classroom, that door would have been closed. Last time I checked, pride, arrogance, rage, self-righteousness, none of those are, are the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, what, what identifies what identifies what, who a Christian is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, forbearance, and self-control. Friday, prayers were answered. My, frankly, my prayers were answered. I'm a pro-life pastor. I've been praying that Roe v. Wade would have been overturned for a long time. Frankly, I'm shocked. I actually quite honestly have given up, given up hope on that, so I don't know what's going on, but it happened. But how we respond as Christians is an incredible opportunity for us right now. The wrong response is to spike the football and do a fancy dance and to say, in your face, we win, you lose. That's the wrong response. The right response is that, yes, you do celebrate the victory and answered prayer, but you do your victory lap in the spirit. And if you have the attitude that People that are lost are the enemy. Well, frankly, you're in the wrong church. People that are lost are not our enemy. They are our prize. They are our inheritance. We will not shut the door on their faces. Even if, even if they hate our stinking guts. Even if we get protested. The response is kindness. The response is a conversation. It, it, is, it is not a protest sign. The response is love. There are a lot of our future brothers and sisters in Christ who are very angry, who are hurting tremendously, that are confused. It is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Be kind. A great victory was won. But be kind. Be noble. Be a Berean. Can you be a Berean? Do you know what the, you know what the Bereans are? Be noble of character. Walk with indignity. Show respect to everyone, even if you don't agree with them. Because maybe, just maybe, they will say to you someday, will you pray with me? Maybe that will happen. In times like this, with everything so polarized, it seems like an impossibility. But we cannot give up hope that even in this society, bridges can be made to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We cannot give up hope. Anyone, no matter how far gone they are, anyone can accept the gospel message and salvation. Never give up hope on the hopeless. Never give up hope on the the most impossible cities, the most impossible communities. Once we make them our enemies, I believe we've lost. We have one enemy. We have one adversary. We have one person, one entity that accuses us and lies to us and deceives us. We have one enemy, and his name is Lucifer. Satan, the devil, the serpent of old. He's your enemy. Everybody else is a prize. Everybody else is an inheritance. Begin to treat them like that instead of, instead of treating them like enemies. Because that's, that's what the devil wants you to do, by the way. He wants you to treat people with disrespect. He wants you to act like he does and accuse them. Who's the accuser? That's, that's the literal definition of his name. He's the accuser of the brethren. So let's not act like him. Let's not accuse people. Let's love them into the kingdom of God with kindness and grace. You okay? <laughs> Is everybody okay? All right. Thank you. It was a hard word. I prayed a lot about it. So, have the Holy Spirit be your coach. Have him teach you how to lose well, because it feels like we we know how to lose. We're losing a lot. But let's have the Holy Spirit also teach us how to win well. Yeah? How to win well. How to be a brave how to be noble of character. This, who knows what God can do? Art of Revelation could be, quite possibly, that we are in the end times. Feels like it. Lots of scholars and armchair theologians with fancy graphs making very good cases on all different sides and all different interpretations of it. I read through Revelation and the other prophetic books that deal with the end times probably about once a year, and um, well, I'm still confused. Okay, <laughs> uh, Mark and the men's group have been doing Revelation for how long? Too long. Come on, dude. Just say it. How long has it been? <laughs> Twenty weeks. Isn't that awesome? Do you feel blessed? Amen. It's the only book that you can read that's going to give you a blessing. It might make your head spin. You know, if you're not reading it the right way, you might end up with nightmares. <laughs> yeah, right? There's a blessing in it. And it is written to inspire us and to prepare us, to give us a hope, 
So when you read Revelation, you really need to read it through the lens of love because it's a heavy book. Likewise, in my sermon today, you need to hear it with ears of love, like God loves you and he loves his people. So you need to hear this message from, a, from the perspective of love and not fear. Unless it's the fear of the Lord, that's different. You know, it, it's, it's a bad strategy to, to scare people into heaven. Because once again, what leads people to repentance? It's kindness. So hopefully in this, you will actually see the kindness of God. I'm a little afraid that I'm not going to get through it. We're going to do a part three. I had a part three planned anyway. I'm not quite sure how long this is going to go. I, I promise I'll keep it short because I have to go to the bathroom right now. Okay. So I promise it will be short. <laughs> In the 15th century, the world was changing. They'd just come out of a major plague that killed like one third of the population. I mean, during the early Renaissance, if anybody thought that they were living in the end times, they it was medieval people. It was bad. You know, they were reading the scriptures and like, yep, check that box, check that box, check that box. Okay, this one didn't happen yet, but maybe it will. I'm not quite sure. But, I mean, they had very good reason to think that maybe quite possibly they were in the end times. The bubonic plague, the black plague, I mean, just devastated Christendom. And, and from those cultural experiences, uh, it, it affected society. And so when we're moving into the Renaissance, the, that, that experience and their knowledge of the Bible burned something into their collective consciousness to where there was a lot of art being produced in the theme of end times. So they were cranking it out. People liked it. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of weird that, that maybe that's a, that sounds a little macabre. Why would, it, why would a, a society be so fixated with the end of the world? I don't know. Look at your Netflix uh, list. Look at the, just check out Netflix and how many apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic zombie takeover movies there are right now. Don't look up. This is the end. I mean, just all kinds of crazy movies. We're, it's, it's, it's in us, too. And why is it in us? I think that God's probably put it in our, in our spiritual DNA to, to have this understanding that, that someday there will be the day of the Lord. So it's nothing new. This piece by Hans Memling, it is called The Last Judgment. 15th century Flemish painter commissioned by an Italian banker. So... Back in the 15th century, there were guilds, and there was a banking guild, kind of like Chase Bank. Except in this bank, they had a chapel at different, different times, different society. But could you imagine going into Chase Bank, and there being a little prayer chapel there for you before you made your deposit or took out money to go to Las Vegas for But there was a chapel in this bank, and so this wealthy Italian commissioned this famous Flemish artist, 
this piece commissioned in our dollars would be about seventy to eighty thousand dollars just to have this artist paint this thing fresh. And Hans Memling in Brussels, yeah, excuse me, Bruges. From Bruges, he was the second wealthiest person in the city, and Bruges was big bucks. Point that probably doesn't matter, but they valued the artist in the society. He was one of the wealthiest guys because he was cranking out masterpieces like this. So here's the great irony. Big, giant check written for this. Hands, like, nails it. This is called a triptych. There's three pieces, centerpiece. These other two panels fold in, and then if we were to fold in these two panels, uh, you would have the portrait of the couple, of the banker that commissioned it. So he painted himself into the painting because he's like, oh, I made this. This is all mine. So some things never change, right? Some people like to have their names on buildings. Okay. This is called The Last Judgment. Uh, I'll, I'll read the scripture reference, and then I'll explain it. I'll have a little bit of fun with it. Uh, Revelation 14. There's also a Revelation 20 that talks about uh, the last judgment. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 6. This won't be on the screen, so bring your Bibles. Then I saw another flying angel in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heavens and the earth and the seas and the springs of water. So this is snippets of this verse and of chapter 20. We have Christ the King. We have heaven and we have earth. We have a rainbow that is separating the two spheres. Heaven is represented by an atmosphere of pure gold, peace. Christ the King is not just sitting on the earth. No, this golden orb is the universe, symbolic of everything that has ever been made in every galaxy. Christ sits on it all, not just, not just uh, the blue marble in this universe. He sits on everything, having victory over his own creation. The angels that we read about in the scripture are flying around in heavenly places and you can't see it, but they hold the cross and they hold the nails, they hold the crown, they hold the whipping post, symbolizing the victory over the crucifixion. The sword shows us that he has authority and the lily shows us that he has victory over death itself. We have the 12 apostles plus John the Baptist and Jesus' mother Mary in the painting in heavenly places. And one of them, 
I, it's, I think it's this guy here with the fancy hair, the pretty boy. That's the Duke of Burgundy. So if you're a nice guy, if you're a benefactor, just maybe they'll paint you into the painting. It's awesome. On your left panel, you have all of the saints and all of the believers being ushered into heaven itself. Some of them are standing on the very edge as if they got in by the skin of their teeth. There is... Unfortunately, uh, I mean, if I came up the rules, with the rules, it'd be a little bit different. But there is such a thing as deathbed conversions. What a terrible idea that is, but that, that's God's idea. It's not my idea. You don't get what you deserve. But you can be saved at the very last second. I don't know how that works. It's up to God, not me. I would do things differently. Aren't you glad that I'm not God? (laughs) You'd all be screwed. (laughs) Yeah, but somebody, they're on the very precipice. They just barely got in. But yeah, the atmosphere behind behind that gate, behind that entrance is pure gold. And then on the right panel, you can't see it real well because it's dark, but it's scary. Like, that's hell. Monsters and demons and devils and pitchforks and, you know, they're poking you for all the bad things that you've done. It's, it's bad. You don't want to look at that. But back to heaven and earth, where we are right now. Remember last time I spoke on the Art of Revelation? I showed you the painting of um, Albrecht Dürer, the, 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 the print of Albrecht Dürer and how he had the apocalypse shown, the four horsemen, the four horsemen that are ushering in the tribulation that we may or may not go through. Did you catch my words there? We may or may not go through it. We could quite possibly go through the tribulation. Just very strong arguments for that. I'm voting for the easy way out, but I don't know. And Albert Dürer interpreted scripture in a painting, and he did so in a way that changed the way that we think about theology. Whenever we think about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we think about them all coming at you all at once from hell to judge the world. And that's a, that's a false interpretation, because when the seals are broken, they are released in consecutive order, one at a time. But from that one painting, every other painting and every other description from 1478 uh, has them all four in a row coming at you. Even, even heavy metal death band album covers, same thing, all from a misinterpretation of Scripture. And in Hans Memling's painting, you can't see it, I'll show it to you, but there's also a false interpretation of Scripture. In the middle, we have Gabriel, the archangel on earth, judging people. Like, where are you going? You going to the right panel or are you going to the left panel? And, again, it's a little dark, but he has a giant scale. And he's weighing people's souls to see if they're worthy enough to go into heavenly places. We have some good saint that he's going to make it over here. And this poor soul, poor soul, he ain't making it. You can just tell. Like, you know, his, he didn't weigh out too well. 
You know, he's starting to feel the pain of his own sin. Interesting enough, this guy is a real person. This is Memlings or the, the bankers, one of his enemies. So, if you had friends, you can paint them into heaven. And if you had enemies, you can paint them on their way to hell. This is a misinterpretation of Scripture. Because it, when you make it to the judgment, the last judgment, that's a good thing. You might not want to be judged but I'm telling you right now, you do want to be judged. Because if you're not being judged, then you're in the other place. Being judged is a good thing. That means you're in heaven. It's just, you know, he's going to figure out how many crowns you get, how many jewels you get, so that uh, when the time comes, you can give them to Jesus. But we're all going to stand before the Lord giving an account of what we've done with our life. Even those that made it in, on their deathbed, by the skin of their teeth. You're just, you're just going to have to give an account. That's just what the scriptures say. But uh, yeah, if you're not being judged, you're not getting there. So why is this a misinterpretation of scripture? Because this is a ripoff of ancient Egyptian mythology and religion. Because the god uh, Osiris would take your soul out of your, out of your chest. you take your heart out of your chest and you put it on a scale. And he would weigh your heart against the feather of truth. And if you've done more good in life than you've done bad, then maybe you will go into the Elysian fields. Weighing how much good you've done versus how much bad you've done. And if that's the truth, I don't know if I'm going to make it to heaven. I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God. I can't do it on my own merit. So isn't God good that he judges us in this way? All right. I got a few more minutes. We'll work this out. Until we get to this point, until we get to the day of the Lord, when he returns, we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But we can test the seasons. I have two biblically fulfilled prophecies that I want to show you. One, in 1948, May 17th, Israel became a nation. You take a look at that. State of Israel is born. Uh, the teenager is going to be like, what? <laughs> That's not a big deal. I don't get that. It was a big deal. Let's go to the next slide. This is when it was declared. I know there's, all, there's a bunch of guys up there, but really this was pulled off by Golda Meir. She's not in the picture. <laughs> And Ben Guren in the middle, the Zionist movement after World War II made a push to have a nation of their own. And Jews from all over the world flooded back to Israel to claim their homeland. That's a fulfilled prophecy. Ezekiel 36, 24 says, 
For I will take you out of nations. I will gather you from all countries and bring you back into your own land. Jeremiah 16.15 says, But it was said, As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and up out of the countries where he had been banished, for I will restore them to the land that I had given their ancestors. Matthew 24. Then will appear the signs of the Son of Man. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn the lesson of the fig tree as soon as it, the twigs Get tender, and its leaves come out. You know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. That ought to scare the pants out of everybody here. These things will not pass until that generation has been complete. My grandfather was in Israel during the trial of Adolf Eichmann. He was present, at least it was a big deal. This, this new story was a big deal to him. And he was convinced, well, they thought... They thought Hitler was the Antichrist. They had good reason to believe that. He didn't check all the boxes, but, you know, it kind of seemed like he could have been the one. My grandfather was convinced that this was it. He had charts and graphs. They were in his bedroom. It was a little, uh, it was a little kooky, to be honest. Floor to ceiling, working out all the numbers. He was wrong on a lot of them, <laughs> Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So the idea is that the generation that established the land of Israel, that generation will not pass away until things are put in motion. Does it, does it, do you see what I'm saying? It makes a lot of sense. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day... Or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So only God the Father knows the day and the hour when this is going to take place. As it is written, the days of Noah, so it will be for the second coming of the Son of Man. So that's one, like this is one big, it's a huge miracle. It's a huge sign. Like, this was an impossibility for the Zionists to pull off this thing. But they did it. 
They literally turned a land that was a desert, and the parts that weren't a desert, it was a swamp. It was, a, it was an unproductive land. And when the, when the Israelites came back, they transformed the whole community. So here's the second major prophecy that was fulfilled. The second major prophecy is that God's people would be a prosperous people. Even at this point, that when they return, when, when God restores them to their land, that they will not only be restored, that they will be prosperous. Okay, Israel's the size of New Jersey. And Israel, according to Forbes, is number 20 on the Forbes top 10 list of GDP, gross national product. Some reports say that Israel is in the top five of tech countries that are producing new startups. Does anybody use Waze? You know the little navigation app on your phone, Waze? Guess where that was developed? In Israel. They are one of the most wealthy nations per capita. And they haven't been around that long. Uh, Jews are somewhat 2% of the population, and yet they hold 80% of the Nobel Prizes. So that is another prophecy that is fulfilled, is that Israel will bless all nations. So right there in Pulitzer Prize and Advancement of Humanity, they're the number one blessing nation in the world. We ought to support Israel, because the scriptures also say, that he will bless those that bless Israel. So it, this is why America is successful. It's because, well, when that newspaper came out, uh, Harry Truman, the dude that dropped the atomic bomb, Harry Truman recognized Israel as a state. Most men would not have done that. Um, the other nation that recognized Israel as a state was Russia. Hmm. So those are two very obvious fulfilled prophecies that, that we all need to be paying attention to. I don't know when the day or the hour, but it just, okay, it's just things that make you go, hmm. I don't have time for another story, do I? Next week? All right, we'll go next week. There's two right there. Scriptures, I have to paraphrase because of time, but the scriptures say in the last days that there will be wars and rumors of wars, that the earth itself will be groaning. There will be a series of natural disasters and earthquakes and floods and fires. The whole e ecology of the world will be turned upside down. Things that make you go, hmm. There will be signs in the skies. Planets will line up in certain ways. If you're an astro astrology, astrology, please don't be an astrology nerd. If you're an astronomy nerd, just pay attention to all the cool things that are taking place in heavenly places. 
meaning stars and planets. All right. When I was a young man, I didn't want the day of the Lord to come. Because I was a teenager, right? I'm like, what? Because we had we talked about this when I was in high school. It's like, oh, what? I don't want Jesus to return. I got some life to live. I want to fall in love. I want to get married. I want to have a family. So I didn't have the right perspective. I, I wanted to live life. And in my logic and in my mind, I'm like, because I knew about Israel because Grandpa told me about Israel. I knew about that 100%. But I also had the brain power to like say, okay, well, right now there is no one world government. There's no one world government, so maybe, maybe I'm okay. Let me think here. No, I hadn't been to Israel yet. A meteor hadn't hit the dome of the rock, and the Jews did not build, rebuild the temple yet. I know they're trying to stick it in a corner somewhere on the Temple Mount. I'm skeptical about that. But the temple needs to be rebuilt, and then we need to have the introduction of the Antichrist that's going to rule the entire world. And he's going to broker a peace treaty between Israel and her enemies. That's wrong. Israel and his enemies. Israel's always preferred to in the, in the masculine gender. All other nations are preferred to in the female gender. Fun fact. All right, so I thought, I'm like, okay, I, I, I can mess off a little bit because they haven't built the temple. Do you see where I'm going with this? So in my mind, in my uh, young, young man mind, I'm like, okay, I got some time to mess off before the return of the Lord, because I had enough information to think, okay, maybe it's not going to happen quite yet. And here is what Jesus says about that kind of attitude. Matthew 25, verse 13. This is what we call the Olivet Discourse. This is the sermon that Jesus gave to his followers on the Mount of Olives as they are overlooking Jerusalem and the Holy, the Holy City and the temple. We have a picture of that. Put it up. Matthew 25, verse 1 through 3. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take away any of, did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they became drowsy, and they fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No. They replied, There may not be enough for both of you 
Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way they be to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins were ready. The virgins that were wet, ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, and the Lord said, Open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the hour or the day. Forget about the signs. Be a virgin that has their oil prepared. The Pharisees were always bugging Jesus for a sign. And you know what he said to them. Don't be looking for a sign. Make sure you're ready. I guarantee you 100% my grandfather was ready. We need to be ready. I have a flippant little saying, when is the Lord coming back? I say tomorrow. That really needs to be how we live our lives, as if he's coming back tomorrow. As if he's coming back tomorrow. I had a conversation with Sasha yesterday on what the oil is. Don't know. But we know what oil is used for. It's used to light the room. So how do you know if you're prepared? What does Jesus say about your light? Is that your light must shine among men, and it can't be hidden under a bowl. So that is how you know if you are a prepared bride. Your light needs to be shining. You can't steal somebody else's light. Amen? You can't draft off of somebody else's light. In your bulletin, there's a picture of two virgins. One has her lamp lit, and the drowsy virgin is sleeping there. You can see her, but it is not her light that is illuminating her face. It is the preparation of the faithful virgin, the one that is at watch, that is lighting both of them up. But again, only one gets in. There she is. Pretty, huh? I have a couple more uh, pictures. Let's lower the lights so everybody can see it. mannerism uh, 18th century next one this is really mannerism the colors pop early 1800s uh, again by 1850 this is William Blake he took a psychological approach to the scriptures he is a trip. I know that one's a little scary looking. Next one. More classical, of course. I showed this to a friend, and he's like, dang, Jesus is buff. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And then his other observations, like, look how pretty the other sleeping virgins are. 
They're, they're so pretty, and, but they're not ready. But let's look at the sweetness in the next slide. That's this gal down here. That is an attitude of humility. Right? This needs to be our posture when the bridegroom comes for us. It is victory, yeah? It is victory when he comes. Like, it is such an amazing victory. Okay, in my imagination, thanks to my daughter, I see the second coming. Is this, I hope you guys like heavy metal music because when Jesus comes back, it's going to rock. It's going to rock harder than ACDC and Thunderstruck. It's going to the frequencies are going to blow your ears off. There will be colors that are not on the spectrum. It's going to shake your whole being, just the vibration of those horns. You're going to hear sounds your, your ears have never heard before. Next one, do I have any more? Is that it? All right. Uh, band, come on up. Grab your elements. And I need to leave you with a little bit of instruction. Because maybe this was a scary sermon. Maybe Revelation and all the other prophetic books, maybe they could come off scary. But you need it. So when we're going to take Holy Communion, I want you to understand now and grasp the heart of our Father and of our great intercessor. So if you're on the reading plan, if you're reading through your scriptures, and if maybe you're a little confused, maybe a little frustrated, here's how you read it. An artist said this, an artist and not a theologian. Do you, do you know what optic you should use when reading the scriptures? When reading the scriptures, it is the tiniest of lenses. Remember in science class when you were in high school or elementary or junior high or whatever and you made one of those pinhole cameras, right? Remember the pinhole camera? You had to have a dark room and you put a hole in, in this little box or in the, you know, if, you had the, if, it, was a, if it was a room, you put a hole in the, the plastic that covered up the door and the room was pitch black. And then on the other side, you would, be, you would see on the wall projected what is on the other side of the box, on the other side of the rainbow, if you will. Do you remember this? It would, there was like a natural projection through a little tiny hole. Do you remember that? Are people upside down or right side up? What is the nature of the kingdom of heaven? It's upside down to what we experience here today. If you want to go high, you got to go low. If you want to be first, your, your position of your heart has to be last. The kingdom of heaven is upside down to what we normally think that success is. If you want to win, you can't produce. You just have to be faithful. If you want to make God happy, don't work more. Just believe. And so an artist said that we must interpret the scriptures through a pinhole. You know how cool the Bible is? Do you know the pinhole in the Bible? 
What's the smallest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. That, my friends, is the pinhole to understanding the nature, the character, the values of the Scripture. So when you read Revelation and you get a little scared, just think about Jesus wept. There is humanity in him. He cares for you enough that he weeps for you. When he unleashes the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Jesus is weeping. He takes no pleasure in judgment, but he must do it because he's a judge of God, and he is weeping for you. What's the second shortest scripture in the Bible? God is love. Those two pinholes. Jesus wept the humanity of who he is. And number two, God is love, the very character and nature of his being. We serve a loving heavenly father whose son is interceding and weeping for you that you may know him, that your oil will be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. It's the body of Christ broken for you the body that wept for you in the Garden of Gethsemane, the garden that has the foot at the Mount of Olives. He wept for you. Tears of blood. Receive the body of Christ. Become a part of him today. God wants to give you A very special present. And it is in the cup of the new covenants. It is in this drink that even people I don't think deserve to go to heaven get to go to heaven. For those that say, Lord, it is only by the shedding of your innocent blood do I have access to that atmosphere of gold on the other side of the rainbow. It is only in this cup that gets us into heaven. It is only by the shedding of innocent blood that there is forgiveness of sins. So make yourself pure. Allow Jesus to wash away all of your sins so that you can be a bride, a saint, worthy of your calling. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Isn't that a good gift? If I could have the ushers come to the the front. We're going to return to the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. And I want to say thank you for everyone who has been faithful to this church in dark seasons. In In a time of famine, you have been faithful. Thank you for keeping that wick lit so that we can be a light. A light for our friends that are lost. Our friends in this and surrounding cities that need Jesus now more than ever. Let's invite them home. 
Let's allow them to be our inheritance. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will illuminate our minds to see the scriptures in a new light. But even though we might not understand how all the pieces fit together, I ask right now that there will just be a spirit of revelation that will be upon our minds. That you will reveal to us how you move and what you're up to and when things get sideways in our homes and in our society, you will say, okay, I know it seems like it's sideways, but there's opportunity here. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. God, I pray a blessing on this offering that it will be a blessing to the nations. Thank you, Lord. And thank you for your faithfulness. God bless you as you return to the Lord.
Uh, that first painting I showed you, The Last Judgment. So <laughs> the wealthy banker that bought it, when it was finally finished, he had it shipped from, from Flanders or wherever it was painted back down to Italy. And on its way, pirates stole it. He never got to hang it in his bank. got sold to the Templars for a while. Napoleon stole it. The Nazis stole it. The Polish people stole it. It's there now. Don't let anybody steal your treasure. Don't let pirates come in and take away from you what the Lord has planted, the good work that he's begun in you. He who has began a good work We'll see it through. Don't let the enemy steal or rob your joy during this season. He's for you, not against you. You have a treasure with him. Don't lose it. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you, his radiant, glorious face to shine upon you. May he be gracious towards you turning towards you at every moment of your need. That is his promise to you. He will always turn towards you in your time of need. May the Lord fill your home with that peace that is in heaven. And may he fill your heart with love. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Sorry for keeping you long. I'm going <laughs> to... Thank you. I'm going to go to the bathroom now. Thank you.